This is the Scalable Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Luigi Prestonenti. And each week, we will go on a journey, a journey that will inspire you, motivate you, and help you be the very best you can be. Our focus will be on mindset, tactics, and the strategies that will enable you to create more opportunities and win more deals. Welcome to another episode of the Scalable Growth Podcast. I'm pumped, honored, and excited that you've joined us for what will be an incredible episode. Now, for all of our longtime listeners, just want to say thanks. I do this every week because I'm very grateful for the fact that you show up each and every week to support us in our quest in helping sales professionals be the very best they can be. And if you're a first-time listener, welcome. Really excited that you've decided to check our podcast out. We hope you take some value away and you come back each and every week. Now this week, we are really privileged to have another practitioner. In our last episode, we had Ryan talk about the outreach process and how you can develop an outreach strategy and gave a bit more, a bit of a different point of view around getting a no and getting some form of resistance means as part of your outreach strategy. So if you haven't checked that out, go back, check that episode out because there's a lot of great value in that, especially because Ryan is an absolute practitioner of what he does. And this week, we have another practitioner, Cole Assay, incredible, incredible operator, has worked across a range of different roles in the sales arena. And what I love about this particular episode is you really hear Kyle is quite pragmatic in his approach. He's quite thoughtful and he will bring a level of thinking that we all need to have when it comes to prospecting, especially in a tougher market. So the climate, as we know, back end of 2022 got really tough for a lot of sellers. It actually was quite brutal for, for a lot of sellers. And so 2023 it is going to be another difficult period of time. And and this is where we need to bring more structure. We need to bring um, more process. We need to be more disciplined in the way that we structure our deal. So this is going to be a great episode. There'll be a lot of learning. Also, I mentioned in LinkedIn last week, our prospecting program, we have created an incredible masterclass. It's got frameworks. It's got a playbook. It's got some tools. It's got online sessions. It's completely self-paced. When you join the Growth Forum community, the link is in the show notes. Jump on. It's absolutely free to join. We're giving 45 days free to join. You can join and you'll get access to that particular program that goes live in February. And there's a whole bunch of other programs that go live. Growth Forum officially launches in February and it's going to be amazing. We've got incredible thought leaders jumping on board to provide value, content, sessions to help you on your journey on being the very best you can be. So really, really excited about that program. Take advantage of it while because at the moment it's completely free. It will become part of our more of our premium uh, offering down the track, but at the moment it's completely free. But for now, check out this episode. I hope you love it. Let me know. DM me, send me a note what you think of this episode. Also, reach out to me and let me know what are some of the subjects and topics you want to hear from this year so that I can go out and get the guests and and put this content together because I do this to help you be the very best you can be. Welcome to the show, Cole. Thanks, Luigi. Good to be here. Yeah, man. Excited, excited to have you on um, to talk about a real, I think it was a really cool topic for many sellers that are are probably, you know, in 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 the deals, working on deals and sometimes thinking, why do certain things happen? And so really excited to talk about that whole sales psychology and buying psychology. But uh, before we get into today's topic, would love to just have uh, a little intro from you, mate, on how you started in sales and and why this topic, why this topic is something that you're so passionate about. Yeah, you bet. So I, uh, 
I got into sales by accident. I, I thought I was going to go into consulting, <clears throat> did an internship for consulting, and I hated it. And so I was in a, in a bit of a panic as I finished up my, my undergraduate studies. I, I thought about extending college, thought about doing a computer science degree instead, mm-hmm. when Qualtrics reached out to me for an opportunity development role. I, I had no idea what opportunity development meant, but I went in for the interview process. I fell in love with the company and what they were, the, the vision they were building. When they told me it was a sales role, I literally told one of the co-founders of Qualtrics, I, I don't want to do sales. And he said, it's fine. We'll start you in sales and then you can change later. You'll just make less money. And I was like, okay, that's fine. So I, I started in sales, started as a, an SDR is what, they, is what it was. They called it op-dev, but it was an SDR role. And I have uh, fell in love with sales. And I've, I've been there, been there ever since, right? Um, I've been in pretty much every sales role, uh, SDR, AE, frontline leader, secondline leader. The, the reason why psychology stands out to me is I feel like in sales, we are so focused on how we do things. Yeah. We're focused on our sales process, how we perceive our products, what we want to accomplish in sales calls. And very rarely do we think about what the buyer is feeling, experiencing, Mm. even hearing. I think my biggest aha moment was doing like a demonstration and I would show the critical functionality. And I thought I was showing it effectively. I would move on and 10 minutes later, the buyer would say, hey, Kyle, do you offer this functionality? And I'm like, I I showed that to you like five minutes ago. And that's the first time that I realized that what the seller says what the seller does is not always what the buyer perceives and buyer hears. And so I began thinking a lot more about the buyer psychology and how to adapt to what they need. Yeah, it's an interesting concept, right? And I'm I'm actually really excited to dive into this this particular topic and really break it down by the different stages of the funnel. But before I go there, right, I mean, this is an incredible career that you've you've had so far, Um, starting off as an SDR, working right up into that VP of sales role, just tell us a little bit about what you needed to go through from when you, when you talk about psychology, what were some of the mental shifts that you needed to, t- to make as you change roles, right? Because often, you know, sitting in top of funnel and then moving into AE, it, it can be a bit of a bit of a shock, right? And then going from AE to leading, you know, it, again, it changes the dynamic of the role. Just talk to us a little bit about how you you made that th- those changes. <laughs> some I made well, some I, I screwed up initially. But I, yeah. I think the the mental shift that I've had to continue to make through every role is that of ownership, yeah. where I, I I can't sit back and compare myself to others. Say, well, that person's having success because they're lucky, or they have mm-hmm. a better team or better territory. I had to learn in my career that I am responsible for my outcomes. I can take what I am given and make the most of it. And as long as I consistently make the most of what I'm given, good things happen. Not always at the speed that I might like, but I found that as I stopped comparing myself to what others were doing and how they were having success and focused more on improving myself and learning, I was able to adapt to each new role much, much faster. Mate, that's awesome. The reason why I was a bit of a gap, I actually took some notes. <laughs> um, and I love that. I love that, the, the way in which you break that down, right? Because I think, and this is my opinion, 
through my own career and through the lens that I've looked at things is that the ownership, the risk being responsible, consistent, stop comparing, like all the things that you talk about, that's the mindset component, right? That's that's the, what we build our foundation on and we're going to make mistakes. That's one thing that's guaranteed in our career, right? In sales, mistakes will happen. We're not perfect. We can't control many things. But what I loved about what you you know spoke about is controlling what you can control. Um, so I think that's an awesome way for us to now move into the whole psychology of the sales process, right? So when we think about this, so now that we've, we've sort of framed up the importance of having um, that mindset and controlling what we can control, let's talk about the buyer's concerns when it comes to the sales process. And we know, you know, HubSpot revealed a pretty interesting report. Circa 60% of buyers don't trust sellers. So there's a bit of a trust gap already. Yeah. Um, I think it's probably getting worse if you surveyed them now with all the automation um, it's funny, I saw a post from somebody on LinkedIn yesterday about a message they got and I got exactly the same message in my inbox and my LinkedIn. So the automation is, is out there and it's, it's happening a lot. So it's creating further, you know, barriers of distrust. But let's talk a little bit about that whole, you know, what concerns do buyers have early in the sales process that prevents us from even having a conversation? Yeah, it's a... Uh... A rep thinks they have 30 minutes to go into a discovery conversation to yeah. extract understanding of the buyer and convince them to evaluate their solution. What mm -hmm. they don't know is really the buyer is going to give them about probably two to three minutes before they decide whether they're going to engage in the conversation or mentally check out from the conversation. What the buyer is afraid of, the buyer is afraid that the rep doesn't know their role, doesn't know their industry. They're going to come in uneducated, and they're not going to be able to add value. They're just going to be throwing mud at the wall, hoping that something sticks. Yeah. They are afraid that they're going to spend 30 minutes answering questions from a rep. The rep is going to extract value, extract value, extract value, and then the call is going to end with the AE saying, hey, I got all that I needed. Let's make an hour next week, and I'll tell you all the things that you want to know. And the buyer's yeah. like, I, I still don't know if you can help me. So that, that's a waste of my time. And then I think the other big fear that a buyer has is that the, the burden of evaluation is going to fall exclusively on them. Let me explain that. Mm. They feel like whether there's a good fit or not, the AE is going to try to sell them. Even if their yeah. solution is not going to help the buyer, they're still going to try to force a sell. So they have this pressure that they need to figure out as quickly as possible, cut through the BS and figure out, can this actually help me? Which is pretty overwhelming because mm -hmm. they're not an expert in the solution the seller was providing, but they feel like they're going to have to figure out on their own if it's a good yeah. fit because the seller is going to force it through. And you've raised a couple of things there, right? Which I think we need to, we need to jump on because... I think the first component of what you've raised is we as sellers are going into a discovery and thinking we're the one doing the discovery, but in fact, it's both parties are doing a discovery, right? Because they are also looking at us thinking, is this something, as you said, that can help us first and foremost? And the second component to what you've just discussed is you're right. That's where the distrust comes because the, the buyer's thinking, regardless whether this fits me or not, this guy or this girl is going to try to sell this to me. Yeah. 
And this is where I think the mindset, and I would love to get your take on this, on successful deals that you've been able to, to guide and, and nurture and educate. But I always see this as that consultative role, right? My role is not to sell you something. My role is to help you understand and make sense and validate and evaluate and bring all the parts together to show that this is something that would help you achieve your outcome, right? So in some of the deals that you've been managing, and, and again, if we go to that, that earlier stage, how do you frame up with your prospects so that they see you as the consultant versus see you as the person that's just trying to sell or push a product to them? Yeah, it starts with how we're gonna get their attention right from the, the start. Yep. And I have found, for me, the best way to get their attention and show credibility and build trust is to come to the discovery with a hypothesis of value mm. that is specific to who they are as a professional and to their industry. And so it's the whole idea of I come in and say, hey, the reason why I actually wanted to have this conversation is I'm pretty confident that we can help you drive these three outcomes that I'm pretty sure you care about based on who yep. you are in your industry. Is that a value to you? I'm asking right from the beginning, like, hey, this mm. my solution is going to drive those outcomes. If that's not valuable to you, let's end the call now because there's no point in talking. If I have the right understanding of who they are as a professional, their industry, and our solutions, yeah. my hypothesis of value is almost always relatively close to what they care most about. Yeah, but you, this is awesome, right? But you've done that research, yeah? You've researched your persona. You've researched mm -hmm. their KPIs. You know what's important to them. And you're not taking a one-size-fits-all approach and you're also segmenting your market, right? So you're saying this is what's important for this persona. This is what's important for that. And I'm going to change my hypothesis of value so that it actually matches the person I'm talking to, right? Correct. And yeah. this is where having to, their, their fear of they don't know who I am as a professional, they're going to waste my time. I put that fear away because my yeah. hypothesis of value is in line with what I know they care about. And don't don't get it don't get it wrong if you're listening to this. It doesn't mean I'm saying, hey, I am I know I can help you. I know I have the right solution. It's hey, I think these are things you care about. Am I right? I'm yeah. confident we could help you drive those. The point of this conversation today is to help us align together if we actually can help you and get mm. enough of your interest to continue the conversation so I can prove it to you. In yep. further calls, and but but you're doing, and just maybe, but you're not just entering that first call with just the ICP and the persona. You're doing some research, right? Absolutely. And, and what are some of the things that you're looking for? What are some of the attributes that you're looking for to validate your hypothesis and say this is why I think this will help? Yeah. So uh, it, it can range based on the account and the buyer, right? If it's an executive buyer, before I'm on a call with a VP or a C-level, I sure hope I've had conversations across their org to understand mm -hmm. systems in place, priorities they have. So I already have some insight into their specific company. If it's yeah. not that senior, I'm able to extract things from their LinkedIn. I can look at job descriptions for their role or similar roles of yeah. the company. And then I can also just look at how we help similar types of customers within our own case study portfolio, right? All of yeah. these pieces of, of insight can help me develop that hypothesis. And again, it doesn't have to be exact, but it needs to be directionally accurate. Uh, I, I've often seen calls with reps that aren't prepared with this, 
they go in, they don't have a hypothesis, they begin asking questions, and the buyer goes, hold on, you, you asked me for this call, just tell me what you do. Yeah. Just tell me what you do. And the rep's like, well, before I can tell you that, I need to better understand your role. And they're like, if you, don't, if you have no idea how you can help me, why'd you even ask for the time? Yeah. And you know what, that's, that, again, this is a bit of a smack in the face for us because we, we, there was a study done by Vanilla Soft that actually, and, and that actually they, they surveyed over, I think 2000 senior leaders and the, and the results were really, really, you know, right there, uh, 89% of them said, if you reach out to us, we expect you to know our industry, know our problems, right? And know us. We're not, we, we don't have time to educate you on what you should already know. So I think that's really interesting. And, and you're right. If that structure of that conversation um, can't be about me finding out what I should already know about you, it doesn't position us in the way that they see us as a consultant, right? It positions us in a way that they're like, this person's wasting my time. How do you set that agenda though in that in that initial conversation so they're very clear on what's going to be covered? Yeah. So the way I set the agenda, I prefer to call it an objective because yeah. the buyer doesn't care what we're going to do; they care what we're what they're going to get out of it. And so yeah. I'll say something like, "Hey, by the end of this call, I am planning to tell you specifically how we can help you." So if I'm selling Clary to a sales leader, it's like, "Hey, by the end of this call." I'm going to help you understand how, how you can improve your forecasting at the region, team, and rep level, while also understanding which deals should be flagged for your attention so you can go drive an increased win rate on key deals. Before I can break down specifically how we can help in those areas, I need to better understand your role as it relates to how you're forecasting at the company, region, team levels. And also understand how you are servicing key deals to dive in deeper. Can we take a few minutes to dive into that before I wrap up with how I think we can help you? That way they understand I, I want to drive towards an outcome they care about. I know a VP of sales cares about all those things. If they don't, yeah. I don't have a solution for them anyway, so the call is over. But now they understand why I'm going to be asking specific questions to lead me to the specific outcomes of how we can help them. Yeah, okay. Yeah, well, it's clear, right? You're putting the what's in it for me. You're making it very clear on the outcomes that you're looking to achieve from the call. And if that's important to them, then you've got alignment and you move into the conversation. So I think that's fantastic, right? Um, so also you, you talk a little bit about empowering, empowering the no. Um, why is that important earlier in the sales process? So going back to the psychology piece, uh, buyers, I think, are afraid of salespeople because their assumption is the salesperson is going to make a deal, whether yep. or not it is in the buyer's best interest. So when I empower the no, and what I mean by that is at the end of the call and discovery is, hey, uh, Mr. and Mrs. VP of sales, here is how I think I can help you forecast better. Here's how we're gonna help you win more deals. Is this worth your time to further evaluate? Yeah. Because if we go through a full sales cycle, that's what I'm gonna help you do. If that's not yeah. valuable to you, let's stop the conversation right now and get you back to your schedule. I'm making it really clear to the buyer from the onset that if they're not really confident that this is likely a good fit, it's not worth my time either. I don't want to mm -hmm. go chase a bad deal. And so empowering the no early helps them feel yeah. like, hey, this person wants to sell a good deal if it makes sense for both sides. They're yeah. not going to try to force an, a second meeting just to hit a KPI, just to get an op, yeah. and just to keep chasing opportunity down the funnel. Yeah, this is good. 
this is good. So you're not qualifying them out. What you are doing, you're seeking an understanding of is, is this a problem that they would like to understand further, right? And see if it's something that you can help them solve. Yeah. And giving them a really comfortable way to say, you know what, this isn't really a priority for me right now. Because yeah. honestly, if it's not a priority for them right now, there's plenty of companies that it is a priority for. I'd rather go spend my time there. Yeah. Can I challenge you on that a little bit? So if they say it's sure. not a priority, but they haven't actually done a proper evaluation on the problem to determine is it something that should be a priority that they should build a project around, are you limiting opportunities in your pipeline or do you kind of un ask a few more questions before saying, yes, maybe you said it's not a priority, but this is, let's put this to the side for now. Yeah. So by the end of the first discovery conversation, when I'm giving yeah. the, the outs empowering the no, yeah. I should have enough to take it from a hypothesis of value, which is more generic to a value yeah. proposition. So it's, Hey, I, now I understand how you're forecasting. I understand that right now, the way that you're identifying deals to dive deeper into is you're just, you're just sorting biggest deal to smallest and you start at the biggest. However, yeah. I've explained, we've learned together that there's often deals that fall through the cracks that are winnable, meaningful opportunities that never get to your attention because they fall not in your top five biggest deals. Mm -hmm. We've identified together that probably is a problem. We've validated that. So now my value proposition is, hey, now I know that you have a problem identifying the right deals to focus on. Yeah. I know you're having a hard time forecasting with new leaders because they have different methodologies. If we were to keep talking about this more, I'd be helping you better understand specifically how we are going to be able to help you solve those problems. Yeah. Is this a big enough problem for you to continue to solve? So we've had enough of a conversation at that point yeah. to validate the problem. And honestly, again, like if they're at that point, if they're still not completely sold on it, unless it's a dream account and dream buyer, my time is better served yeah. to go find people that agree it's a problem worth solving. Yeah. So again, it comes back to the mindset, right? I actually love what you're talking about and the mindset that you bring in is it's, it's, it's not a mindset of scarcity, right? You're going, you know what? I've got other opportunity to work on as well. And if, if they haven't confirmed that this is a problem that's worth solving or investigating further, I'm going to move on. So I think that's fantastic. So mate, we've covered, we've covered top of funnel. Um, so now we've gone into that discovery. We've, 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 we've spoken about it. They've, they've said, yes, this is something that we want to, we want to investigate, right? So that you've got through that first gate. Um, now we go into the demo, right? Um, talk to us a bit about why the demo can be batshit boring for our prospects and yeah. why a lot of deals kind of fall down during this stage of the process. Yeah. So if, you, if you're, uh, if you're listening to this podcast right now and you can pause it, pause it real fast and go, <laughs> go look at your competitors' websites, go look at two or three of your biggest competitors' websites. And they're probably going to look almost exactly the same as yours, <laughs> the same outcomes, the same verbiage, similar little graphs or screenshots of products. <laughs> They're also number one in the space, right? Yeah. It's, all, it's all the same. And so the second that a seller pulls up their slide deck and the first slide is, here's all of our customers, yeah. or here's the awards that we've won, here's our revenue, the buyer's like, I've seen this before, and now they're right back to email, they're back to Slack, because to them, just like the websites all look the same, so does the presentation. Mm. And then reps will usually spend 80% of a presentation covering table stakes functionality that everybody offers. Yeah. 
The reason they do that is as table stakes because it's required. Buyers need it to function, but they spend all their time on it. And to the buyer, they're like, yeah, this looks exactly the same as competitor mm. A, competitor B. And so it's boring because it's the same. Right. Yeah, which is interesting, right? Because you're absolutely right when you look at it from fame, and then when you're looking at at it from the buyer's perspective, and they ha- you know, they start evaluating. It's making it's making it harder for them to arrive at a point of decision as well because they're not able to differentiate. They're looking at things, and the main thing that'll differentiate is the price, right? So, it makes it harder for the buyer, makes it even harder for the seller. So. If, if everybody's the same, how do we overcome that and move out of the sea of sameness and actually move into a place where we can differentiate the demo that allows the buyer to see things differently but allows the seller to differentiate themselves in the process? Yeah, so rule, rule number one, and this is actually hard to do because it requires really good discovery, but you yeah. should demonstrate your product exactly how your buyer would use it if you yeah. were to give them access today. If you can't answer the if, if 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 you can't answer the question, how would your buyer use your product if we gave them free access right now? Then you're going to have a hard time doing a compelling demo. So yeah. that's that's point one. Show them how they would use it. Don't give them the product tour. The yeah. second piece is I like to set really clear guardrails around what I'm showing. So when I'm showing the table stakes functionality, I'm calling out. Look, I know everybody has this. I just wanted to quickly show it to you so you know we have it too because you're going to need it. But I want about 20% of my demo to be table stakes functionality. And then I want 80% to be on the two or three primary differentiators mm-hmm. that matter to the customer. So when I get to the differentiators, hey, this is, this is different and there's two ways to be different. You can be different by having the same functionality but better than the competitor. Yeah or it can be different because it's unique, right? So comparative versus unique. When I'm showing the differentiators, hey, this is different. Here's why we built it differently. Here's why it matters to you specifically. And then here's a story about another customer, ideally similar to them, of how they have gotten value from this feature. This storytelling gives some emotion to it and helps Mm. it stand out more. Absolutely. So you are further enhancing the confidence if from the buyer's perspective that somebody else like them has been able to achieve X result, yeah, through using... Yeah. Yeah. And and so because some would argue with you that, hang on a second, but if I don't show all the features, right, I'm not actually all the bells and whistles. Um, I'm not, you know, I've got to give more. I've got to give more than than what they're asking for just to keep building up that value. Why is that a big mistake for sellers to make? Yeah, because uh, buyers are afraid that not only will a rep try to force a bad deal on them, they'll also try to upsell them to unnecessary functionality. Now, it's (laughs) totally fine. I actually recommend show them things that they don't think or know that they need. Yeah. As long as you can prove to them why they need it. It goes back to differentiators. Here's why we built this. Yeah. Even for people that don't know they need it. And here's why you actually do. It's a whole challenger sale mentality, right? Educating yeah. them. The buyer saying, hey, I never thought of that, but now I agree. There's a difference between that and just going through a massive feature dump to show everything mm. because you're convinced from product marketing team that your product really is the best and you got to show it all. <laughs> The other, yeah. the other psychology piece 
is when somebody thinks that your solution has more than they need, regardless of the price point, you just became expensive. Yeah. People don't like spending money for things they don't use. And so a product that has more than they think they need, even if you're moderately priced compared to the competition, they still think you cost too much for them because they're not going to get full value. Yeah. Yeah, this is interesting, right? Okay, so you've you've helped the prospect, you've mapped what they've told you in that first in the first stage of the of the buying journey and clearly showed them exactly how your product will help them with the different use cases that they've shared with you. You've also spoken about the improved results that'll occur for them as they're progressing and then you've seek consensus and they've said, you know what, this is great. We're aligned, let's move to the next stage of the process. So now we're moving to the bottom of the funnel, right? Um, what are some of the things that are happening from the buyer's side that you prepare for to try to mitigate any issues or risks to make sure that they do arrive at a confident point of decision? So there are, I think there, there's two predominant buyer psychological shifts that happen towards the end of the deal cycle. The first one and the biggest one is yeah. what if I buy this and it doesn't work? Yeah. And now it, 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 it not working could be for a lot of reasons. It could be bad product from the seller. It could also be their IT team doesn't have the bandwidth. It could yeah. be they just screw up the project plan. But regardless, nobody wants to be the person advocating for a solution that doesn't end up working. So the failed implementation fear, that's probably the biggest one to overcome. The second one, still critical, is a lot of buyers don't know how to successfully purchase. And yeah. so at the end of the deal cycle, where reps are usually happy to give control to the buyer by saying, hey, here's the proposal, go figure out how to buy this, we'll check in with you later, the buyer's like, all right, well, I'm not really sure how to get this approved. So those are the, the two big yeah. things that I, I want my sellers to work on. Yeah, and, and our good friend Jen Allen talks about this, right? 39% of, of B2B, B2B engagements end up in no decision, right? There's a whole range of reasons why they end up there. I think you've also hit the nail on the head as well is here's a proposal, go figure out instead of flipping it and understanding, well, what is the business case that you need to submit in order to get this approved? So I think this is a really, this is, this is actually really interesting. So can you just maybe just walk us through your process? So the buyer says, yep, this is great. Send us a proposal. Um, what's your, what's your process in, in getting that proposal submitted and accepted? Yeah, it's a, trying to maintain control as much as possible. And yeah. so once they, once they give us the, the whole, Hey, let us, let us take this discuss internally and get back to you. Yeah. My, my question is first off, okay, who, who are you going to be talking to? In my experience, now I'm going to do a little bit of coaching, a little bit of guiding with my question. In my experience, usually at this point, we need to have financial stakeholders approved yep. for budget reasons. We also need to have it approved because they're the ones that either raise their hand and say, yeah, we have the availability to execute on this project. Who else would you be talking to? Yeah. So I'm, for, I'm, I'm doing two things here. One, I'm making sure that they know, go talk to IT and finance. Two, I'm understanding what other stakeholders that have not yet been involved are mm. about to be involved. Once they uncover, hopefully, one or two others that need to be involved, I'm asking questions like, based on what you've seen of our solution, what would resonate most with them? Yeah. Here's the three outcomes we're trying to drive for you. Which of those resonate most with them? My goal here is I want to go revise my proposal, revise my business case to no longer speak to my contact, 
but to speak to the people my contact is now going to go sell to internally, right? And so then to maintain control of the deal, my offer is, hey, now that I know you're talking to finance, talking to IT, you're talking to your boss and your skip level, let me go back and pull out some of the most important parts of our solution for them, easily yeah. condense it for you, then let's find 15 minutes before you meet with them. I'll walk you through that. That way you don't need to worry about building this internally and taking your time for a business case to get my product approved, right? Yeah, yeah. And that allows me to make sure I'm coaching them more and also understanding who wants to get involved while coaching yeah. them on people that need to get involved that a lot of people often skip. And you never want to be the person waiting for a contract signature and find out that it's not getting signed because at the last minute IT said, hey, we can't, we can't implement yeah. this for six months. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's so what you're doing is, again, you're helping your buyer based on all the other deals that you've, con, you've put together and guided others through. You're using that kind of those plans to say, hey, these are the drawings that others have used to build, you know, their outcomes. And you're helping them kind of identify, is this something they need to do as well, right? Precisely. I've gone through a lot of sales cycles. My buyer hasn't. I'm going to yeah. tell them a couple of things I know are going to have to happen while coaching them to go ask the questions internally to find out what else may need to happen. And I'm maintaining control at the end of the deal, not just sending them off to do my job for me. Yeah. Mate, this is awesome. For me, this has been, a, I've, I've got notes, right? So whenever I have a good episode uh, or whenever I feel like I, I feel like it's a good episode, hopefully they're all good episodes, I often do take notes. And this has been a good one, right? Because you've helped me trigger some thought for me around certain things. And, and I love the way that you look at it, right? You're not just looking at it from a sales perspective, but you look at it from a buyer's perspective and then going, well, if this is what they're thinking, how do I overcome this? How do I help them? So I think this has been a great one. And for, for most of our listeners, um, they should have taken a whole bunch of notes, uh, and, and, and which I think will help them during the, during the buying journey. But before we let you go, and again, I could talk to you for hours about this stuff. Um, where's the best place for our listeners to find and engage with you? Uh, LinkedIn. Yep. So I, I post pretty frequently and then salesintroverts.com is where I post uh, my, my best content and I'm building out a bit of a community there. So salesintroverts.com. Okay, awesome. Mate, we'll, we'll make sure that we share that. I think I'm going to have to join your community. We'll have to share that in our, in our show notes um, so that we can, we can get our listeners to connect with you over there. But I just want to say, mate, thanks. I've really enjoyed this podcast, um, again, because you're coming from a place of – this is not theoretical, right? You're doing this, you're building, you're putting deals together all the time. You're coaching people how to do it. So I just want to say thanks for coming on our podcast. Thanks for the contribution you make to the sales community and, and providing content and thinking and ideas that can help sellers be the best they can be. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure, Luigi. Thank you for having me on.